Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Now, in person, we have Kids Church. We gather together and worship through song and prayer and giving and community. We worship as we submit ourselves to the Word of God together. And then throughout the week, we meet in small groups that go deeper in discussing and studying the Bible, and we have questions that we hand out in our sermon notes uh, that we talk about in the small groups that are based on to this morning's Bible study. We have youth group that meets every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Also, we have a uh, women's retreat that our Conference of Churches is putting on, and so if you want more information, you can email office at faithonhill.com. That women's retreat is coming up in March. If you want more information about our small groups, you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com. If you want to check out any of our online content, you just have to search Faith on Hill Church on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcast, and there you can subscribe and like and do all that kind of stuff. You can follow us on social media at Faith on Hill. All right, we're going to continue our study in the book of Joshua, and this morning we're going to look at chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Acacia Grove, and they went to the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, or the Covenant of Yahweh your God, as we talked about last week, the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand cubits, that's about three thousand feet. Keep a distance of about three thousand feet between you and the ark, do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Yahweh will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. And so they took it and they went up ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today, I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests that carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of Yahweh your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, And as soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and will stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now, 
The Jordan is at flood stage during harvest. Yet, as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge, and the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap at a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, where the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people of the So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. This is the word of God. Well, all right, this morning I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the river. I want to talk about the priest, and I want to talk about the people. Now, the first thing is the River Jordan. The River Jordan runs from the Sea of Galilee in the north to the Dead Sea in the south. Christians who read the Gospels know the River Jordan. It's where Jesus was baptized. Jesus spent a large amount of time in the Sea of Galilee, and he would have been around and seen where the Sea of Galilee flowed out into the River Jordan to the south. He would have walked along it. He would have spent time there. We know the River Jordan. When the people of Israel get there, the River Jordan is at flood stage. It is at its fullest. Now, we are a people who live near rivers. Here in Milwaukee, Oak Grove, and Gladstone, we have the Willamette River to our west. We have the Clackamas River to our south and east, and we have the Columbia River to our north. And that's in addition to all of the other rivers in our area, such as the Malala River, the Sandy River, and so on. We understand about river levels at different times of year. We understand what causes them. We understand there are certain times of year where we drive through downtown Milwaukee and we expect to see the Willamette lower. There are certain times of year when we drive through downtown Milwaukee and we expect to see the Willamette River higher. And if the Willamette is lower than we expect or higher than we expect, odd for a certain time of year, we make note of it. It was expected that at this time of year, the Jordan River would be at flood stage. It would be at its highest level. It is the worst time to cross the river. Now, the two spies were likely young and likely in good shape, and so for them, it was doable. You could cross the river at the fords at the lowest, shallowest point. Now, maybe it was um, harder than usual. Maybe you had to just jump in and allow the current to carry you downstream, and you just kind of slowly made your way over, and then you got across. Maybe there was some sort of, you know, you could use some wood as a flotation or something until you finally got across. But for the thousands of people involved, maybe millions, we don't know how many people exactly crossed the river on this day. Some people think it was in the high six figures. Some people think it was in the low seven figures, meaning in the book of Numbers, there was a census taken of all the able-bodied men, and it cut numbered around 603,000 men. These are fighting men, men who were able to pick, take up weapons and defend the nation. 
And then after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, later in the book of Numbers, they took another census and the number was lower, more like 601,000. So they'd lost a few thousand able-bodied men, but it had stayed fairly constant. Now, normally populations don't stay constant. They grow or they shrink. And so the thinking was that during the tough years of wandering in the wilderness, Israel was able to stay at a constant population level. It hadn't grown, but it hadn't shrunk dramatically either. So then there are those who say, well, if there were 600,000 able-bodied men, you can use a multiplier. Some use a multiplier of two, you know, uh, men and women. Some use a multiplier of four, men, women, children, the elderly. Uh, there's different numbers that have been thrown out there. Some have said there was two to two and a half million people that would have crossed. Others have said it would have been less because while the fighting men of those two and a half tribes stayed on the eastern shore, the, the rest of their people would have maybe started to set up camps and things. There's disagreement about the number. We don't actually know. We know, and we'll read in a uh, you know, week or two, that Israel was able at this point to easily field uh, a force of about 40,000 for battle in Jericho. So some people say, the number 601,000 from the book of Numbers wasn't just able-bodied fighting men, which was culturally common in censuses back then, but it was the total of the people, that the total people of Israel was around 600,000, and of that, 40,000 were used in the army. That could be two. I, I don't think we can know for sure. I think you can speculate. The idea is, is that this was a massive, large group of people. Large group of people. Two spies in their late teens, their early 20s, their late 20s, in good health, physical con top physical condition. Yes, they could have gotten across. But a whole group of people, the young, the infirmed, the injured, the elderly, could they get across? I don't know if you've seen the movie Into the Wild or if you've read the book. I've read the book several times. I'm a big fan of the author, uh, John Krakauer. I've read the book. I've seen the movie. And if you don't know, there's, it's the story of this fellow, Christopher McCandless. And Christopher McCandless was from Georgia. He traveled all over America in his early 20s, in the 1990s, and he eventually ended up in Alaska. And he walked out into the Alaskan bush and tried to set up camp and tried to just live as simple as he could out there. Uh, very similar, if you've ever seen like Life Below Zero, to what a guy named Glenn Villeneuve did successfully do for over a decade out in the Brooks Range in Alaska. But Christopher McCandless went out, and unlike Glenn Villeneuve, he did not have the foresight or the humility to research and learn how it is to live in the Alaskan wilderness. He had survived the American Southwest in the desert. He had survived forests in the Pacific Coast. I can do this, he thought, and so he goes out there, and he crosses a river and then goes deeper into the bush and makes his camp. And then when he got into trouble, he'd eaten some things. He didn't know this. It's pretty well assumed that he did not understand why he was dying. But as he was sick and dying and he realized, I need to get out, he went back. But the river was now at flood stage. And in his state, he could not cross. What am I saying? I'm saying that this is a supernatural event. It wasn't just that they came to the river and God did something where the river stopped flowing. You know, stuff happens, right? 
You could have an event like Bridge of the Gods where there's a massive earthquake and a landslide and the Columbia River stopped flowing. We know that that happened. That if a people needed to cross the Columbia in that time, that happened and the Columbia stopped flowing for a while and a lake built up at Cascade Locks until finally that loose earth from that landslide broke and gave way and a massive flood would have come down. We, we know this from our own region's history. So you could say, oh, well, you know, something happened. Uh, there was an earthquake. There was a landslide. There was something that happened. Maybe it was a drought year and the river just stopped flowing. No, this is at flood stage. We've talked about this before. We talked about this last week. They didn't need to cross the Jordan River. There are other ways to get into the promised land. There are other ways to enter the land of Israel besides crossing from the east into the Jordan River. You don't have to go that way. And yet that is the way that God took them. And God brought them to that place at the exact moment when the river was at its fullest, most impassable. Why is that? It is supernatural. And it was timed to be hard or even impossible. Why? It might have even felt pointless or needless or just too much. Can you imagine being somebody who had an awareness? And, and maybe you, you said, why did God bring us here at this time? Why don't we wait until the river is lower to cross? Why, why is it that we're even trying to cross this river? This feels pointless or needless. We could just go to the south or the north. There is no Jordan River north of the Sea of Galilee. There is no Jordan River south of the Dead Sea. Why is it that we have to cross this way? And can I be honest? I've, I grew up in the church my whole life. And I never questioned this until now. And I think the reason has nothing to do with the Bible. I think the reason has to do with the Oregon Trail. And I don't mean the actual Oregon Trail that we all live at the end of. I mean the video game, right? If you wanted to cross and go west, you had to cross rivers. You had to cross the Mississippi. The Mississippi River splits America almost completely in two, north and south, the middle of the country. And then, to stay where it was passable and with water, you had to cross other rivers. And because of difficulties with trails, you know, when they got to the Columbia, then they had to turn their wagons into barges and kind of ford down the rivers. And the river wasn't as nice and smooth as it is now because all the uh, hydroelectric dams on the river and all the work that the Army Corps of Engineers does keeps the river at a generally level place. It's smooth and calm, generally speaking. But here they come to this wild, untamed river, and it's at flood stage. Why here? Why now? Why does it have to be so hard? And you know what? The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. In the book of Judges, which we're going to study after the book of Joshua, in the book of Judges, there's this guy Gideon. And Gideon was raised up by God to deliver the people of Israel. This is generations after Joshua. 
and, and he calls the people of Israel together to call out an army. And they get thousands of people coming to fight. And God starts to whittle them down. Do this, do this, do this. So you can whittle down to a number. From thousands to just 300. And Gideon says, God, what are you doing? And God says to Gideon, Gideon, with 300 men, you cannot win this battle unless you have divine supernatural intervention. If you had more, the people of Israel would say, we did it in our own strength. Look what we can do when we come together. Nothing can stop us. They wouldn't acknowledge and admit that they had nothing to do with it. But with 300, well, then they'll know that Yahweh is God. Then they will know that God was the one who gave them the victory. Then they will know that it had nothing to do with them. And that's what's happening here. God's brought them to a place that feels hard, needlessly hard, pointlessly hard. It's too much so that we would know that he is God. So why is it that God brings them to this river? It's literally just so they can cross it to see what God is doing to see the power of God to enter the promised land through the divine, supernatural hand of God. And let me say this. I believe that crossing into the promised land, crossing through the river, is a picture I don't believe that it's the only thing that the river is talking about, but I believe that in part it is a picture of entering into the work of God. They were already the chosen people. They were already the people of God. They were already people in a covenant with God. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had been to Mount Sinai. They had received the Ten Commandments. They had made a covenant with God. God said, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will deliver you, I will protect you, I will provide for you. And in the same way, if you are a Christian, you have already been brought into the people of God. You've been saved by Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. You have been welcomed in, invited into the family of God. You've crossed the Red Sea. But there's a Jordan River to cross. Oh, they're the people of God, they're the children of Israel. But there's another step forward. To accomplish. There's another step forward. And I believe that the river is a picture of that work. The big word we call sanctification. Being made like Jesus. Surrendering ourselves to the love of God. Fully shed apart on our hearts and in our spirits and in our lives. Giving ourselves over to the peace of God fully, giving ourselves over to the hope of God, fully, giving ourselves over to the holiness of God, fully. Why does it seem so hard, so needless, so pointless? Because we won't see God otherwise. We will miss out. Can you imagine there were those who felt so like, what is this? Why is this happening? And then they see what happened. Now it says that Joshua told the people in verse 5 to consecrate yourselves. What does that mean, consecrate? To prepare yourself, to set yourself apart, to make yourself holy. There were actually rituals for this. 
rituals and ceremonies that they would do to consecrate, to prepare a meal that they might eat, uh, uh, anointing of oil, prayers or sacrifices they might make. What, what Joshua is saying to the people is get yourself ready for the work that God is about to do. Get yourself ready for the work that God is about to do. Consecration means different things for different people in different places in different situations. Preparing yourselves means different things for different people in different situations. For some, it is a moment of pausing, a, a, a time of pausing and remembering and reflecting all that God has done. And we can look and we can say, this is where God has brought us. And we thank Jesus for the work he has done. And we just ask that God will do a new and fresh work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There are people, there are Christians, who if you ask them, tell me about the amazing things God has done in your life, they can tell you. But it's been a while. And we all have points and seasons where we need to come back and say, Lord, will you again do that work in our lives? Will you help us again to consecrate ourselves, to prepare ourselves, to stand Others, it's the first time of consecration. It's the first time of being set apart. You're in the family. You're welcomed in, but now it's time for that deeper work. And then there are stories throughout the Old Testament and where the work of consecration had to do with saying, hey, I am going to cast out the idols. You see this over and over again where the people of God had collected idols, had collected false practices, had collected uh, sinful ways throughout their time and their journeys and the places they had been and the things they had seen. And it was like, hey, we got to get rid of that. It's time to remove that and to return ourselves to where God would have us be. So Joshua tells them to prepare so that they can go across and enter into the promised land. I say, well, the promised land, that's talking about heaven, right? Well, once they got there, there were still battles to fight. Once they got there, the job was not done. Heaven is not the promised land. It was, they were still waiting. They get to there. They settle into the promised land. They are still waiting for their Messiah. The promised land is that victory that I believe Christians can and do see right here and now. And the river is that point at which we cross. And everybody's got a different river in their life. Everyone has a different moment. Everyone has a different season. For some people, it seems to happen in a moment of crisis. For some people, it seems to happen uh, in a moment of, of chaos. For others, it happens at times of worship and song, or it happens at times of prayer, or they're just reading their Bible and something clicks, or they're at a, at a retreat or a camp and something happens. They have a moment of clarity. They have a moment of silence where they can finally just hear God speak. They're there at the river. And the second thing I want to talk about, the priests, they have to go in. Joshua says, hey, the priests are going to go out first and don't get too close. Stay 3,000 feet away. So when they go, they start walking all of Israel, the whole camp, whether it was 600,000 or 2.5 million or some other number, who knows. But this mass of people start walking as soon as the priests start walking, but they need to stay back. And then when the priests enter the river, they need to go around them, but give the priests wide berth. Not because the priests were holy, but because the Ark of the Covenant, representing the power of God, was to be treated as holy and separate. Because there was a disconnect between God and the people that was not bridged until Jesus bridged that gap, made the way for people 
and God to have that direct relationship that we currently enjoy and celebrate. But the priests had to step into the river. Think about that. Think about how stupid they might have felt. Here they are. They're holding this large box, the Ark of the Covenant. And if you've seen Indiana Jones, it's a pretty good representation, a golden box with two angels or cherub on the top whose wings are touching together. And it was carried by poles that were run uh, through holders on either side and four priests, one, two in the front, two in the back, two on each side. You know, these four priests, they would carry the ark and they step into the waters and they said as they stepped into the waters, the waters stopped flowing, which means that for a time they were walking into the river carrying the ark. And as they did, the water stopped flowing and it's very possible maybe it got up to their ankles. Maybe it got up to their knees and then it never got higher. In fact, it slowed down. It stopped. The, the power of the current went away. And here's a miracle that most people don't focus on, but it happened twice. Here, in the book of Joshua, and once before, in the book of Exodus, crossing the Red Sea. In both cases, the Bible says that they crossed on dry ground. Now, I don't know if you've ever been at the beach, I think most of us have, when the tide goes out. You can tell how far the tide had come up previously because the sand is wet versus the dry sand where the water did not touch. A riverbed, even if the water stops completely, is not a solid place. Feet get stuck. Any sort of wagon wheel that they are using to, to haul equipment or luggage or whatever would get stuck. Old people, young people would have a hard time crossing. And yet here it says that they crossed on dry ground. And it said the same thing when they crossed the Red Sea in the book of Exodus. That is also a miracle. We believe unapologetically that God does miracles even in our day. We believe in the supernatural unapologetically. And here is this miracle that as they step out into the water, the river stops and the, and the ground dries up. I actually think the ground drying up is the greater miracle, but that's just my opinion. The point is that the priests had to step out. You know, many of us are praying for people, situations that seem impossible. Many of us are working in places that just feel like downer after downer. Like you just hear about tragedy after horrible circumstance, after meeting this person or that person who it just feels like nothing's ever going to change. And yet God is calling the priests to step out into the river. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about how all believers in Jesus Christ are priests before God. We don't go to a priest. I am not a priest. No pastor you have ever met is a priest. Even a priest is not really a priest because the idea of a priest is they would go before God for the people or on behalf of the people. We don't need that. All of us can go to God. All of us can pray and God hears our prayers directly. There is nobody who God loves more that their prayers are more important. Your prayers, my prayers, their prayers, the prayers of the saints are heard equally before God. They are accepted equally because of Jesus. Everyone is equal before 
God. And all of us, all believers, are priests, servants of Jesus. And we're called as priests to step out. And we're called as priests to stand firm because the priest had to stand in the middle of the river. The miracle happens. The water stops running. The ground dries up and the people cross. But you know what? How long does it take a person to cross a river? Even at the river's widest reach, how long does it take? Let's say that somehow the Willamette River dried up and the water stopped and the ground was dry. But you know what? You'd still have to go down and up. It would be sort of a valley if it was the Willamette or maybe it's the Clackamas. And the, it's sort of a dip, but it dries. And you go across. You don't, you're across, you feel good about things. If you're a priest, you're standing there. And maybe you can see where the water stopped. Maybe you can see it. And at any point, it could just come at you. And in faith, you stand firm on behalf of the people. They had no control over any of this. They, the priests, did not cause the miraculous events to happen. They, the priests, knew better than anyone, that they were not keeping the waters at bay. They were not keeping the ground dry. They knew it had nothing to do with them. They, the priests, knew that they had nothing to do with keeping the waters at bay. They knew that they had nothing to do with keeping the ground dry. They could see that they knew better than anyone that the priests had nothing to do with everything that was happening. They were just standing there in the middle on behalf of the people. And at any point, oh, you cross the river, you feel good. Now I'm on the other side, but here are the priests standing out there holding the ark, feeling exposed. But they were called to stand in the middle of something they couldn't control on behalf of the people. I'm not telling anybody to go into an unsafe situation. I'm not telling anybody to not have healthy boundaries. I am saying this, that in prayer and in service and in hope and in faith and in love, God puts us in places where we can stand on behalf of others. We can't save anybody. We can't change anybody. Everybody's going to do what they're going to do. The priests couldn't make the water stop any more than they could command the people to cross. The people had to make that choice. But there they were, called to stand on behalf of the people, to carry the ark with them, to stand in the middle of the river in a situation that they had no control over. And maybe, just maybe, that's where we're at. We have no control Things are going on around us. People's lives are spinning into insanity. Our community is, feels like sometimes, oh man, it's just going off the rails. And yet, God is working and moving. We've talked about the river, and we've talked about the priests, but you know, the people were there too. And they had to prepare. They were told, Back in chapter 1, in three days we're going to set out, get some provisions together, get ready. Right now we've been camping, you've been settled, but get ready. In three days we are heading out. And then they headed out. And they got to the river, and then they were told, all right, now consecrate yourselves. 
So they had to prepare. That is an act of faith. Wait, we're going to cross a river at flood stage? I don't think so. I don't think that's happening. Little Susie ain't making it across. Grandma Frank, you know, Grandpa is not making it across. That's not happening. And yet they were told to prepare for something that seemed impossible. How do you prepare? Well, we prepare in faith through prayer. We prepare in faith by growing in our faith through study of the word of God, through connecting with one another in community. We prepare. The Bible says to prepare in faith. And then they had to take action, right? They get to the river and then Joshua says, consecrate yourselves. They had to take action. You know, sometimes it requires a movement to happen in our own worlds, to take action, to, to dump out the substances that control us, to get rid of the things that ensnare us, to put filters in place, to put protections in place. Sometimes you have to take action for that act of consecration, for that act of being set apart, for saying, God, I'm yours. And you know what the other thing is? We're talking about like the hand of God. We're talking about the supernatural. We're talking about the miraculous. Think about this. How bored would most of this have been, right? How boring would most of this have been? I mean, think about it. Let's say that it's on the low end. Let's say that the nation of Israel was half a million people at this point, 600,000 people. Let's just say. I mean, think about it. Think about if you were in this massive group of people and you're in the back and they're starting to cross. But you know what? With that many people, it's going to take a while. And you're just waiting and waiting and you're bored and it's hot and you can't just sit down or do something because you got to wait for your turn. And when it's your turn, you got to get going because the people behind you were tired of waiting. And so you better be ready when it's your turn. Then you get to the other side. You have like a few minutes of like, ooh, this is exciting. I'm walking across the river. And then you get to the other side, and then you have to wait for everybody else. And you're waiting, and you're waiting. And you've had days of this, right? It was like all the excitement, the people, you know, the officers come through the camp. Joshua has ordered, everybody get ready. In three days, we're going to go. And so you get ready, and then like, hey, I still got a day. I'm ready to go. And then you go, and you travel, and you get to the river. And then now it's another few days that you're waiting. And now it's time we find finally time to go, and now you got to wait hours and hours and hours to get across, and when you get across, you got to wait hours and hours and hours for everyone else. Why am I talking about this? Because that's real life. The hand of God, one of the most miraculous events in the Bible, is present in this day and in this moment, and yet in reality, most of that day would have been incredibly boring and uncomfortable and awkward, and just you couldn't be more excited for it to be over. And that's how it is. You, you know, we read the Bible and we think, oh, it's just miracle after miracle after miracle. And sometimes there are seasons like that. There have been seasons in my life, I, I'm sure there have been seasons in yours, where you could just see the hand, the work of God everywhere. And then there are seasons where it is quiet, where it feels like nothing is happening. And I'm sure that for most of that day, it felt like nothing was happening. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And it's one of the most miraculous days in recorded human history. And I'm sure there were parts of it that were very, very boring. 
Because crossing the river, entering the promised land, being faithful to God is largely boring. People, I want to grow deeper in my faith. Read your Bible. I want to grow deeper in my faith. Pray. I want to go deeper in my faith. Be part of community together with other believers. Oh my goodness, that is so boring. Certainly there must be some book or blog or 15-week course that's far more exciting that will do what I want. And the answer is almost always no. The boring thing, the consistent thing is what happens to prepare us to stand firm, to step out and to live in moments that we have no control over, but we see the hand of God working. And that's what I want to encourage us with today, is that there is always an invitation for believers to cross the river. There is always an invitation for believers to enter that promised land of sanctification, of holy living, of being full of the love of God, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, like it talks about in the book of Acts and all through the New Testament. But... But so much of what surrounds it is anything but supernatural. So much of what surrounds it is anything but exciting. And it is these boring, so-called, consistent acts of faithfulness to God that pay off multiple after multiple after multiple dividends in the future. What's God calling us to? He's calling us to step out and to stand firm in our own lives and on behalf of others. They'll have to make their choice. The people had to choose to cross the river. The priest couldn't make them do it. But God's calling us to prepare ourselves so that we can do that work. And God is telling us it's okay if it's boring. If there's a season where it feels like nothing is happening and you're just doing the same thing you've always done. Because that is so key and crucial to seeing the supernatural work of God as we follow Jesus here in 2024 and beyond. God bless you. We'll see you this week in the small groups, and we'll gather together next Sunday at 10.30 a.m. as we continue to study God's word together.